welcome to Positively Pro-Life podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramil Tani, Education Director at the Federation, and I'm joined today by our Acting Executive Director, Maria Gallagher. Welcome, Maria. Thank you so much, Remel. I am so excited for this week's guest. Yes, and uh, our guest today is a well-known media personality who does not shy away from speaking about abortion on her shows. She firmly believes that abortion is at the root of a culture of violence and is not afraid to say it frequently and publicly. With her clear, articulate message in defense of the unborn and their mothers, it is no wonder that she is to be the keynote speaker at Pennsylvanians for Human Life's Celebrate Life Banquet later this month. But before I introduce our guest today, here's Maria with ways to put our pro-life beliefs into loving action this February. Thank you so much, Ramel. With the advent of February, minds often turn to matters of the heart. A good many people get engaged or married during the month of St. Valentine. So now would be the perfect time to extend love to those on the margins of society, the vulnerable, who unfortunately may have been cast aside by those who were supposed to love them. Primary in this category are preborn children. They are completely dependent and tragically subject to unfathomable violence. Science has shown us their humanity through the development of such technological miracles as 4D ultrasound. It's a window to the womb, which depicts in breathtaking scope the smiles, hiccups, and somersaults of unborn babies. Extending love to preborn children can take many forms. It may involve reaching out to a pregnant woman facing challenging circumstances, extending a hand of grace to her. Whether you buy baby clothes or babysit older children, your efforts to show compassion to pregnant moms are a remarkable representation of love. Contacting your public officials by email, phone, and in person in solidarity with pregnant women and their preborn children can be another sign of love. Legislators and government executives often need to be reminded of the great miscarriage of justice that has been carried out against unborn babies. Each law that protects preborn children and empowers their mothers in a life-affirming way is evidence of love in action. Sharing on social media can also be a sign of caring. Memes can give encouragement to pregnant women, demonstrate the miracle of the child in the womb, and educate social media users about the cause of life. With your smartphone, you may hold the key to reaching countless numbers of individuals with the facts of fetal development. Visiting an elderly friend or relative, attending a sporting event featuring children with special needs, preparing meals for a time-starved mother, all of these actions can be a sign of love in an often cold-hearted world. So make a commitment this February to affirm life by reaching out in love you may just find that the more love you give, the more you receive in return. Ramal. 
Wow, Maria, that was beautiful and so much practical wisdom in, in what you shared right now. So let's get going and uh, make this February one that is filled with love and compassion for pregnant women and children. Um, I also want to bring to you today an inspirational story that I came across in live action. So live action had a news feature recently that uh, that gave the story of an IO and Iowa doctor, I hope I'm saying it right, uh, who braved sub-zero temperatures and massive snowdrifts, driving his, get this, ATV at 20 miles per hour to deliver a baby at Shenandoah Medical Center. Now, the medical center had their, had a post on uh, their Facebook page and uh, which said, we had a baby being delivered this morning at 8 a.m. in the middle of a snowstorm. And how did Dr. Chase Brown get here for his delivery? An ATV, of course. Thank you for the dedication to our patients, Dr. Brown, and a pretty fun story for the proud new parents to share for years. Um, now, this, the story goes on to talk about how the parents uh, were on their way to the hospital when uh, when Dr. Brown uh, was also trying to get there from the other side of the town to the same hospital to deliver this baby, uh, baby Berkeley. Now, at the end of it, uh, Dr. Brown is quoted as saying, this has been my dream. This is a dream come true for me to be here in a small town and provide the care we can. And experiences like this is just how I imagined I'd be a doctor one day. Now, that's the kind of doctors we need these days. And a shout out to Dr. Brown, who delivered a baby in a snowstorm by getting, there, getting to the hospital in creative ways. And with that, I am very excited to introduce our guest today, Teresa Tomio, author, syndicated Catholic talk show host, and motivational speaker with more than 30 years of experience in TV, radio, and newspaper, 20 of which were as a secular reporter and anchor in the De Detroit market. In the year 2000, Teresa left the secular media to start her own speaking and communications company, Teresa Tomio Communications, LLC. She's host of a weekday morning radio program, Catholic Connection, and appears frequently on the EWT and Global Catholic Television Network, where she co-hosts the television series, The Catholic View for Women. Now, welcome, Teresa, to the show. Oh, it's great to be here. Looking forward to uh, coming back to my husband's home state of Pennsylvania. He's born and raised in Scranton and a Penn State grad, so it'll, it'll feel like old home week somewhat. I know I'll be in the Philadelphia area, but that's not too far from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yes, that's uh, that's really amazing. Now, mm -hmm. um, on your show, you often talk about how you were not always fully pro-life. Mm -hmm. Is there a moment or time that you can trace, trace back to when all of that changed? I think it was a process. It wasn't a, a one aha moment. It, the first inkling I had that you know something was rotten in Denmark with my views when I was doing a public affairs show way, way back when I started in the media, I graduated from college in 1981 and have been on the air ever since. Back then when I started, you still had to go figure, get both sides of a story. So in this particular case, we had an abortion amendment that was coming up in the state of Michigan. So I was asked by my news director to get ooh, both sides of the story. What a concept to get someone from the pro-life community and then someone from uh, the abortion industry. And when I brought in the, the two people, I was stunned. The, the woman who was representing the pro-life uh, movement is still a friend of mine today, Diane Trombley. She's an RN, a registered nurse, and she was also very Catholic, very strong in, in her faith, but she didn't come at it from a, a Catholic perspective because she knew we were on a secular radio station. 
she came in from a very uh, loving but factual perspective in terms of how much women are not told the dangers of the of abortion, how unregulated this was again back in the in the late 80s abortion mills, and they're even worse now in the state of Michigan under our current administration. But she was sharing all these things, and I had no clue. I zip zero nada. And I was like, what are you talking about? That can't be true. And so that was the start of, of opening my eyes. But you have to remember when you're in the media and the culture that I was in, you are just covered with, with bias, even again, way back then in, in the 80s when I started in my career. And all the surveys dating back decades show that the media are staunchly pro-abortion. And most media think they know the truth about abortion and they know very little. I mean, I worked in a major market my whole life. Detroit's a big town and I thought I knew a lot. I didn't know anything. And so that, that was probably the starting point. Plus my husband was always pro-life. He's, he's retired now, but he's an engineer. So he has that science mind. And he's like, well, this isn't exactly complicated. It's a life. I mean, <laughs> what more do you need? So I think his witness, and then also just, you know, having that, that onion peeled away layer by layer, but it was a process. That's just incredible. And, and it didn't hit me before how that change in your perspective has had such an impact because you, you broadcast to so many people uh, through radio, through television. I mean, just that one person coming to you and sharing the truth with you and the ripple effects of that. It's just miraculous. Well, it's crazy in terms of the details and, and how God works and how he places people in your life. And again, he plants seeds and, and he says, come and see. And that's what we do. As you were talking about the, the great information you gave about how to witness and how to help little by little. I think if you're just there to be able to answer the questions and, and you don't have to be a scientist or even an RN as my friend Diane is. But if you know the basics about human life, which is very accessible, all the information, the great pro-life resources we have. But again, it's it's all there. And I really felt a commitment when I finally totally became pro-life to correct so many of the wrongs that I had done in the media and all the misinformation that I had put out there, but also to inform the audience, because I think God gave me that credibility of working 20 years in the secular media, living and breathing in new newsrooms my entire professional life. And so people can't really argue with me. It was my testimony. I was there. I saw it. I, 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 know, I know the arguments they use. I know how Planned Parenthood and the pro boards are regulars in the newsroom and the connections they have and how they twist the stories and how they feed them, uh, you know, certain angles and the media don't bother to follow up. But now the fact that I'm on almost 500 radio stations plus EW10, I cover the March for Life for the network, just covered it, of course, not too long ago in, in DC. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It is, you know, but life with God is an adventure. You never know where he's, <laughs> he's going to take you. And if you would have told me, you know, 30 plus years ago that I'd be on this show or another show, you know, espousing pro-life views. I would have told you, I don't know what you're smoking or drinking, but I would like some of it because I, I would have told you you were nuts, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, um, uh, uh, radio programs are not the only way, place that you have talked about this. You have also uh, written about it in your books and uh, uh, very especially mm-hmm. in your book, Extreme Makeover, you have a section that talks yeah. about what you call the abortion distortion. Abortion distortion. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Well, it was, that was a book that I've, yeah, I don't have any, I wasn't blessed to have any children, but I feel like the books are my babies and especially extreme makeover because I really felt a call when I made the switch from secular media to Catholic, <laughs> excuse me, Catholic media that I promised God that I would write about media influence, how it affected me and how it affects the world. So that was my first book noise. 
And then I felt a call to educate women on how they were being bamboozled and just lied to by not just the secular press, but by culture, by advertising, by movies, all these different things that give us this message uh, about not only abortion, but about radical feminism. And that's all about you, you know, me, myself and I. And it, it's not that difficult to find the lies about abortion. They're all around us. You just have to know how to help people connect the dots. And one of the things that brought me so strongly back into the Catholic Church, because I fell away for many years, was you know, I'm an investigator. I'm a journalist. I'm trained as, as a reporter. And as reporters, you're supposed to connect the dots and help people, you know, give them the information, help them do the same. And so I started to look at the connection between post-abortive women and so many different problems, the connection between abortion and other societal ills, the lies that the media were telling about abortion, the lack of regulation at abortion facilities, and yet how they also the language that the left uses. They're so creative, but the semantics are very telling. For example, they don't like to call themselves uh, pro-abortion. They like to call themselves you know, pro-choice. And they like to call us anti-life and anti-choice. So they call it reproductive health when there's nothing reproductive about abortion or healthy about abortion, but they use those phrases. And so to help people understand the terminology, and for example, now the Associated Press Style Book insists that when reporters are referring to what we know as, as pregnancy help centers or pregnancy resource centers, they call them anti-abortion centers. And so the language, but a lot of people don't understand the nuancing of the language and so you have to point it out to them because we're busy and we don't realize how we're being saturated with these lies and the semantics have a big role to play. So I, I wanted to use my background as a journalist, as a writer, as someone who knows media inside and out to help people see how they were being lied to. And, and that's what Extreme Maker, and, and that one chapter is really powerful in terms of the, the research that I have in there. And I highly recommend that book, Extreme Makeover, and all of Teresa Tomio's books. I get so excited when I find out that you've got a new book out because they're all fantastic. Thanks. They're fun. I, I Well, the Extreme Makeover is a little bit heavier, but there's still my story in there, which is kind of funny about my story and how I came back to the church and how my husband and I healed our marriage. And, and it's interesting. But then my latest book, which is my book about my Italian-American mother, is uh, Everything's Coming Up Rosie, 10 Things My Feisty Italian-American Mother Taught Me About Living a Godly Life. And, and I, I go through, that's not so much a, a, a pro-life book. It's pro-life in the sense of caring for the elderly, but I do manage to still, still get the pro-life message in there in terms of really taking what the church teaches on, on life seriously. So it's, and, I, and I write as I speak, it's very conversational. Yes, definitely. What do you think are the biggest challenges to the pro-life movement today? Well, I'll be talking about this at our event. I really think that we have to pull together with our messaging. There's wonderful pro-life organizations that have got some key messages right now. I've interviewed a lot of those people on my show. For example, you've got Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America. Love them. They're awesome. They're doing a special push uh, for messages from women who've been helped by pregnancy centers. At the March for Life, I interviewed a number of other groups, including the Vitae Foundation, which is fantastic. And they've got a whole other set of messaging that they're doing to young people. There's another organization that I interviewed on my radio program two weeks ago that has another great message. That's fine if those groups want to do their individual messaging. But I really think we have to take a cue from the left and that they are they do the the keep it simple, stupid, the KISS, which is an acronym that we use in, in the industry because you have to keep messages simple. But they hit the same points over and over again. I mean, the last month since Roe v. Wade, since the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, if you look at it, They've been on this, Kamala Harris and Biden have been on their what? Their reproductive health or pro-abortion tour. 
And they have certain phrases that are put out there over and over and over again. It's the same. It's consistent. It's all lies and it's all evil, but they are consistent with that. We have good messaging, but we're sporadic. We're all over the place. And what we've got to do is we've got to take another cue from them, not lying because we're, we're believers and we're never going to lie. We don't have to lie. We have the truth on our side. Uh, we all know coming from Jesus, but we have got to get really tough with the messaging and the truth about abortion. There is no reason why we shouldn't be coming up with very short, powerful spots about someone, especially right now with the push on the abortion medications at home, they call medications, abortion pills. There, we know of many women, starting with Abby Johnson, she talks about this in her book, Unplanned, and we saw that horrific scene in the movie when she took the drugs at home and they told her, oh, no big deal, just some cramping. Well, you know, she's bleeding profusely. She's in severe pain. She's all alone. Why aren't we talking about this? Why don't we have a woman, maybe Abby, maybe someone else, because there are plenty out there who've turned the corner and come around to life after their experience, saying, I was alone. They told me this, these pills would solve my problem. I thought I was going to bleed to death. There was no one to call. I was in such pain. And this is reproductive health care. It could be very simple, right? You do those messages, the truth, over and over again. And, and this is what we need to do. They use the fear factor, but they lie about it. We have the real fear factor, right? Because it's, it's deadly what's happening. And now we have the homes of women becoming the abortion mills. We've got to get the message out there and we've got to be consistent. And unfortunately, this is a media person. We're not. In Michigan, we lost Proposal 3, and we campaigned so hard. But again, our radio station, we got very involved in the campaign, Ave Maria Radio, and we were pushing out the same messaging, but other groups were all over the place. Then you had Ohio. They lost their amendment. The problem with Ohio, I thought, my personal opinion, they did two elections. Too much information. People can't remember that stuff. You've got to keep it simple, stupid, get the message out there, and let people know the dangers that we're facing. Health-wise, this is nothing about reproductive health care. This is dangerous stuff that they're putting out there. It's deadly, not only for the baby, but for the mother and all the fallout from abortion. So we've got to be more consistent with our messaging. Everybody's got these great ideas, but nobody's coming together with one voice. And the left is, and they're running circles around us, unfortunately. Now, they do have a lot more money. I get it. But there are strategic ways to target social media that aren't very expensive. And you were talking about memes, and you were talking about using those social media outlets if we had consistent messaging, one or two messages that were very powerful going into the election, then we could run the, the, those into the ground over and over and over again through alternative sources if some of the stations, which will happen, some TV stations will not, they're very biased and they will not accept ads from pro-life people, but you can still go around that. But we've got to be more consistent with our messaging. That's huge. Yes. And uh, I mean, one of the things that you often talk about is how abortion is at the root of a culture of violence. And we're seeing that that mm -hmm. kind of violence uh, exploding in the world outside uh, with young women who give birth, kind of leaving their babies to die um, in trash, mm -hmm. trash bins and things like that. And uh, but there are a lot of people who claim that abortion is liberating and empowering the woman. What is your best argument against that? Against, you said, mentioned several things against one in particular, that it's empowering well, and freedom? Yes, that it is empowering, that it liberates women. Uh, that's one of those calls that we had, uh, we've been hearing for about 50 years now. And uh, what do you have to say 
to that? Well, my response would be look at the research. Look at groups like Sound No More Awareness Campaign. Look at Abby Johnson. Look at the all these people that we have out there who say just the opposite. If it's so freeing, why do the surveys show that over 60% and even higher now, over 60% of women regret their abortion? And over 60% of women say they would not have chosen abortion if they were presented with help. My husband is a sidewalk counselor in addition to being a deacon. The women that he sees on the sidewalk in Detroit on infamous eight mile, nine times out of 10, they're claiming they can't afford another child. So if it's so liberating, why do most of them say, A, they don't feel they have a choice and B, why do the surveys show that most regret it? Again, people parrot what they hear in the media. They see something and they parrot it and they want to sound very cool and very woke and they don't want to upset anybody, but they don't really know. So use the Socratic method, answer, ask questions. Well, wait a minute, that's not what the surveys show. And these are secular surveys. The CDC, even um, the Guttmacher Institute has surveys that show that women felt pressured. Not only did they not want to have the abortion, but they felt pressured by someone else. So I would just very you know, nicely and respectfully ask questions. Well, that's not what the evidence shows. And what would you say if I showed you a number of surveys, which are, by the way, in my book, Extreme Makeover, that show just the opposite, that it's not liberating. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with pressure and fear and usually money. Is there a particular moment or encounter at the March for Life that stands out to you? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Um, I Just for me, I think it's seeing all the young people year after year. And one of my friends who runs a Christmas Medicus Foundation, Lewis Brown, put out a beautiful statement saying, this is the only event where people go to it year after year and suffer. And I mean, it was cold this year. It was, and I'm from Michigan, you're from Pennsylvania. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm used to the cold, but when you're out there all day and trying to talk and, and do reporting, it's a whole different ballgame. I just think the, the dedication of the people to come out each year, despite the odds and despite what we're facing and despite the weather, and the young people are so articulate. There's been criticism you know, from the media saying, oh, they just come because they get a day off of school. Oh, that's a bunch of baloney. I've interviewed kids year after year after year. And almost every single young person I've interviewed, they could run for the Senate tomorrow because they know so much about the issue. So I think it's the young people and the people who are just so dedicated who keep coming back. I mean, it, it takes a lot to, to take an entire day off, head to D.C. and literally freeze all day long. And you're getting nothing out of it, like for yourself, you're not going to gain, you're not going to get paid, you're not going to be, I mean, you're just in there with the people. So the, the whole event, especially the young people, is really inspirational to me. Oh, that's a perspective I had not heard before, but that 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 was beautiful. Um, now, you work in the Catholic media and the church, mm -hmm. so do you have advice for what can the church do better to promote the cause of life? Well, I think we have uh, wonderful people in charge right now of the USCCB uh, pro-life uh, secretary at that office. We've got some really, really strong bishops. And I think one thing that I'm really proud of that they've done the last couple of years, and I don't know if a lot of people do this, but they've actually hired professional media consultants like myself to train women, doctors, nurses, lay people in how to deal with the media. So I think in that area, they get it. They need to know what's what's done. I, I would think um, what we need to do is encourage our priests and our deacons and our bishops to speak up more regularly, especially during the big events, for example, the March for Life or of course, October being pro-life month. But as a deacon's wife, I can say, encourage them, don't yell at them. You know, Don't scream at them, don't demand, just say, look, you know, I really love your homilies or we could really, let me help you. Can I give you some talking points? Can I write an article in the bulletin? I think we have to just remember that it's not all up to the bishops, the cardinals, the deacons, the sisters, the religious. 
this is, I think, the mistake that people have made that, oh, they've got to speak about it. Yes, they do. But we have to speak about it, too. And too many people, and I'm saying this, and my husband's been a deacon now for 12 years, too many people simply rely on the clergy. Well, you know, Father so-and-so didn't say this or Bishop so-and-so didn't do enough. Uh, that may be the case, may not be the case, but what are you doing? What are you? If you are a practicing Catholic, we're all called to evangelize. The catechism is very clear. We're all called to evangelize. And so I think the first thing we can do is look in the mirror and say, what am I doing as a Catholic? And then also encourage our, our, our leaders, both in the pro-life movement, the lay leaders and the religious. We've got just a couple of minutes left, and I'm wondering, what are you most excited to share about at the PHL Celebrate Life Banquet that's coming up? Well, I would just, I'm really excited just to kind of share my story and to let people know that if you think it's hopeless, <laughs> just, just look at me, <laughs> because again, if, if you if you would have told me you know, 30 plus years ago that I would be a pro-life activist and a very vocal one, as Rummel said earlier in, in, in my in my intro, then I would have told you, you know, again, I don't know what you're smoking or drinking, but I want some of it because there was no way. It was so far. It wasn't even on the radar screen. And I was so convinced. And I wasn't, you know, rabidly pro-abortion. I was just stuck in my views of, of you know, oh, pro-choice and I wouldn't have an abortion, but, you know, never tell anybody else what to do. But I didn't know anything. And yet when there was someone who knew the faith, knew the issue, my friend Diane, and just told it like it was in the interview, just laid it out there, it like rocked my world. And that, as I said earlier, started that process down the road to becoming fully pro-life and now a pro-life leader. So I would say never give up hope. And no matter what's going on, we need to not only change the laws, yes, that's huge, and especially in election year, but if we don't change hearts, at the end of the day, nothing's going to change. If we're not doing the great work that we're doing, if we don't continue the great work that we're doing at the pregnancy help centers on the front lines, meeting women where they're at and families, then it doesn't matter. We have to be there for people. And we are, and we have to keep doing that. But we also have to just remember that, you know, there's only so much we can do. And at, at, at the end of the day, you know, Pope St. John the 23rd said, Lord, it's your church. I'm tired and I'm going to bed. As long as we know that we're doing what God is calling us to do. So that's what I want to share too. Don't lose hope and don't give up. Just keep on keeping on. We just keep, we keep showing up every year at the March for Life. You know, we're like, kind of like the post office, right? Rain, snow or sleet, doesn't matter. We're going to, we're going to try to be there, but uh, don't lose hope. Always, always have hope. And our um, retired executive director, Michael Chikachopo, who was on your recent oh, sends his, uh, affection and deep admiration. And uh, I, well, I, I, I told guess you that cruise was just wonderful. Yeah, you, you should check it out, canoescruise.com. And it was so fun because there's so many people that I interview and get, get to know that I ended up seeing on the cruise. And we had we had 800, 400, or 400 couples this time. So the next one's coming up in January of 25, goodnewscruise.com. And our, our spiritual director was Archbishop Nauman from Kansas City, one of our great pro-life leaders. So that was awesome. Yeah. Terrific. Teresa Tomio, thank you so much for everything you do. I mean, it's just such a an inspiration to listen to you share your story. Well, it's all God. I can't take credit for <laughs> that and the prayerful husband, you know, God's <laughs> grace. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single-issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.